When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me and hope you're all doing well out there in Bulls Nation. And I hope you're enjoying the fact that the Bulls have finally made the trade. They've progressed the tank and it's all steam ahead towards the top pick now that they've dealt Nikola Mirotic to the New Orleans Pelicans. So I've been waiting for it for the last few weeks. The last three weeks I've been closing the show with a, a a little monologue there, I guess, about wanting to see the trade happen and it finally went down on Thursday, so good to see the Bulls actively making a deal with the New Orleans Pelicans. I mentioned that the Bulls should probably start thinking about pushing Mertic towards the New Orleans Pelicans now that they had lost DeMarcus Cousins, so Stefan Noah and I discussed that on the last podcast, and it made complete sense. The New Orleans Pelicans still wanted to make the playoffs, and they needed someone to sort of fill in there for DeMarcus Cousins, and the Bulls were obviously selling Mertic, so... There was a synergy between the two teams and they finally were able to come to a deal even though initially, I guess, they had come towards a deal. It was at the one-yard line as was reported but then sort of fell through at the end there. But it's finally gone through two days later. So good to see the Bulls got what they really wanted there which was the first-round draft pick. Obviously took back a chic in the trade and, and obviously traded Nikola Mirotic out. So I'll go into the details of the trade shortly. So what I'm planning to do on this podcast is pretty much to give you, I guess, my overview of the deal itself uh, and maybe a grading of sorts of how I saw the deal went down and how the Bulls fared and, and maybe even how the Pelicans fared in this trade as well. And I sort of want to talk about some um, some exterior factors that sort of relate to this trade as well, as well as uh, going through some listener questions that I've, I got submitted from Twitter today. So I've got a whole bunch of questions to get through. So I really appreciate everyone for sending them through to me. So I'm going to give you the full lowdown on this trade as, as far as I see it. You can agree with me, I guess, or maybe disagree, but we'll, we'll go through it all. So let's start at the top. Let's review, I guess, the deal as it sort of went down. So I guess the first thing where, or where we should start initially is the, the initial reporting of the deal. So I think it was on a Tuesday, we got word there from Woj and, and KC and, and I think even Vincent Goodwill as well that a deal was very close that was going to happen between the Chicago Bulls and the New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans. And the deal was effectively centered around Nikola Mirotic going to the Pelicans for Amir Ashik as well as a first round pick and maybe a salary of sorts back to the Chicago Bulls. So that was the initial trade. That was the framework of that initial trade. And it looked like it was all but done until, I guess, Nikola Mirotic sort of made the deal fall through. And I guess it wasn't just Mirotic. It was a combination of him as well as the Pelicans not necessarily wanting to guarantee that second year of his deal, which obviously Mirotic wanted to happen if he was to be traded. So I guess that combination there sort of made the deal fall through. But moving away from the trade for a day or so, the teams were able to renegotiate, go back to the drawing board and sort of come up with an alternative trade, I guess. And and in doing so, there was a a couple extra pieces added to the deal itself. So the deal finally ended up being that the Bulls 
received Omir Ashik. Uh, the Pelicans' first-round pick, which, as I mentioned before, is the is the prized possession of this trade. And the light protections on that pick, which I'll go through shortly. They also received the rights to swap their second-round picks in 2021. So not for a while out, but a, a small concession that was included in the trade, as well as some some uh, I guess some empty bodies of sorts. Tony Allen, who is likely to be waived as well as point guard Jameer Nelson, who at the moment, it's been reported, won't be waived. So that's what the Bulls had coming in. And going out, I guess, obviously, they had Nikola Mertic leaving. And of course, as the Bulls typically do, they they included a second-round pick in this trade. So it wasn't their own tra- second-round pick because they actually don't own their 2018 second-round pick, but they actually sent back to New Orleans their own second round pick, which the Bulls happened to acquire earlier on in the season. So that went back towards the New Orleans Pelicans. And I guess in order to facilitate this trade, the Bulls also had to waive Quincy Pondexter. So not a huge loss there. Pondexter wasn't really playing this season. And, and when he did play, he wasn't having much of an effect. But definitely a player that the, the, the locker room really enjoy having around. So I guess that was a side piece to the deal that may or may not have much of an impact, but he did go out in the deal itself as well. So that was the crux of the deal or the final deal in the end. And by and large, I guess it stayed pretty much the same. There was just a few pieces added here and there. And who knows if they know those extra pieces really needed to be added on. Was it just posturing from New Orleans side to maybe extract a couple a couple extra assets in the deal or to, to free up some extra cap space and roster space there's probably a bit of that going on and I guess the Bulls needing to trade Miritich before the trade deadline it wasn't really a situation where they could afford to keep Miritich post this trade deadline I guess the Pelicans sort of knew that that knew that they had the Bulls over the barrel there so a deal needed to be made so the Pelicans were able to extract a few extra pieces there from the Bulls but by and large, I'm pretty happy with how this deal played out. So let's get into the grading side of things. And before I do, I want to set the table on, I guess, a few things that the Bulls wanted to achieve in a Miritich trade. So taking it back to when we first heard some news about what the Bulls wanted to do in trading Miritich, some of the things they wanted to achieve, what we were hearing from the team, I guess, or that what their starting position was in these negotiations was... They wanted a first-round pick or a quality young player of sorts. So that was their ultimate goal. That's what they wanted to get. Now, what they also wanted to do was get rid of Miritich, which obviously was going to improve their own draft pick heading into 2018. So that was another key component of this deal. They obviously needed to get rid of Miritich to improve their own draft pick, which obviously means that they couldn't really get any players back that was going to help them win games. So that was pretty critical in doing a Miritich deal. Another aspect that they wanted to achieve in the deal itself was to get an expiring deal for Nikola Miritich. So I guess in a broad sense, they're the three goals that the Bulls wanted to achieve in this Miritich deal. Now, as we know, and based on what I've just outlined there, they didn't necessarily achieve all of those things. And if that was their starting position in negotiation, you're not always going to get what you want. If you can get maybe two, two out of the three things that you're aiming for, then I think you'd be pretty happy. And the Bulls ultimately did do that. They did get that that first round pick that they wanted. And obviously they did get rid of Nikola Mirotic, which will obviously help improving their own draft pick in 2018. They weren't able to get an expiring deal. That was likely never going to happen. But uh, they did have to take back some bad salary. So two out of three ain't, ain't bad in this instance. So it's important to really set the table there of what the Bulls wanted to achieve and sort of grade from there as to how they went about getting towards what they wanted to achieve. So getting to one of the first questions that I did receive via Twitter today, and this one comes from Ryan Probasco there on Twitter, and he asks, how did they accomplish this deal without an expiring deal coming back? And pretty much the reason, I guess, why they didn't get an expiring deal for Nikola Miritich is the market wasn't giving it up. So from what we were able to, I guess, ascertain from the reporting at the time was... Teams like the Utah Jazz, the Portland Trailblazers, and the Detroit Pistons were really the only teams interested in Miritich aside from the Pelicans coming in there late. And from the reporting that we were getting back, the Jazz were willing to include an expiring contract like Derek Favors, but in doing so, they weren't also going to give the Bulls a first-round pick. 
And from Portland perspective, we didn't really hear much about what they wanted to give up at all. So, and and looking at their cap structure, they didn't really have any expiring deals to give back to the Bulls. Similarly, with the Detroit Pistons, prior to them executing the Blake Griffin trade, they didn't really have many expiring deals to give back up themselves either. So when you start to think about the teams that were involved in the trades, or sorry, the teams that were after Nikola Meritich, none of them really had any expiring deals to offer. Uh, apart from the Utah Jazz, and if they were going to give that the Bulls that seller relief, then they weren't also going to send forward their first round pick, which at the moment is definitely in the lottery, and it may stay there towards the back end of the season. So, I guess the reason they didn't get an expiring deal is because the market just simply wasn't giving it up. So, there's not much you can do about that if teams aren't willing to uh, uh, to offer you an, a a first round pick as well as an expiring deal. If you can't get that expiring deal, you need to get back to the drawing board and sort of start negotiating what you can get out of other teams in order to secure that first round pick. So it would have been nice to, instead of getting Amir Ashik and his contract, getting back an expiring con- expiring deal that would have been much more fruitful for the team heading into the 2018 free agency period, but it wasn't to be. And I guess that's simply just because the market wasn't allowing for it. So given that, the Bulls had to reevaluate the, their position, and they did. And they pretty much came out and said, or via reporting from Chicago writers there, that they were willing to take back salary in order to make this Miritich deal work. And given that they, I guess, changed their position slightly or softened their position, that, I guess, really made things possible in doing a deal with the New Orleans Pelicans, who I mentioned before after losing DeMarcus Cousins, really needed some help up front. And again, they didn't really have many expiring deals. They obviously had a few bad contracts on their books that they wanted to get rid of. And the Bulls, I guess, shifting their position made that possible. There was a, there's a, there was a synergy there to make this deal work. So the Bulls softening their stance really made this trade, I guess, possible. So they played this thing logically. They changed their position and then they went about making this deal with the Pelicans. And from there... I guess we can start to talk about what else they had to, I guess, give up in this deal. If we think about what where the initial deal was versus what it end up deal end up being, they probably didn't necessarily need to give up a second round pick. As I mentioned before, they have this habit, I guess, of throwing in second round picks to sweeten deals, and I guess teams out there would know that the Bulls have this propensity to really throw in extra second round picks. They have a, a habit of doing that. Over the last probably five to ten years, they haven't really held on to their second round picks. They've used them as part of trades to either clear space or cap space to make room for free agents coming in. Um, you know, having to move bad contracts, they've had to attach a couple second round picks to clear some cap space. They included a second round pick in the Cameron Payne trade. They included second round picks when they had to get rid of uh, Anthony Randolph in order to make way for. I guess free agents in 2014 as part of the McDermott deal, they have this propensity for dealing second round picks, which can be a little bit annoying at times. But in isolation in this deal here, I don't really have a huge problem with giving up the second round pick, but I guess from a large perspective, it is a slight concern. So by, I guess, the Pelicans posturing a little bit and and needing, I guess, or using their leverage to, to the Bulls and saying, we're not going to do this deal unless you give us a second round pick. We're not going to take Miritich back, and we're not going to have his contract guaranteed for the year two to make this con- uh, to make this trade work. We're going to need some extra assets. So of course the Bulls came to the party and threw in a second round pick, which was of course was the New Orleans' own second round pick, which will probably be around that forty five mark in the second round. So it's not the best second rounder going around, but. Ultimately, it is another asset that you can use to hopefully improve your roster. So the Bulls did throw in that second round pick, but I guess a way to recoup that pick, what they ended up doing was putting in a, I guess, a provision in the deal to say, in 2021, we want the ability to potentially swap second round picks if it makes sense for us to do so. Now, obviously, the Bulls aren't going to swap second round picks if their second round pick in 2021 happens to be better than New Orleans. But if for whatever reason, the Pelicans do have a better second round pick than the Bulls in 2021, they do have that ability to swap and maybe move up in in that 2021 second round. So it's a small little minor detail, I guess, of this trade, but I guess it's better than nothing. 
And something I should mention, and this is pure speculation, I don't know if this is true or not, but maybe the Bulls needed to include that second round pick to ensure that the Pelicans put some light protections on the pick itself. So in order for this trade to go through, the Pelicans did put some protections on the pick, but they're pretty, pretty loose, I guess. So in 2018, it's only top five protected. So what that means is if for whatever reason, the Pelicans pick does land in the top five, they will get to keep that pick in 2018 and they'll convey their pick to the Bulls in 2019, assuming, again, that that pick isn't guarded by protections that they do have on the pick for 2019, which is top eight. So, But realistically, there should be no scenario where the Bulls don't receive the pick in 2018. It was something would have to go catastrophically wrong for the Pelicans to fall down to, I guess, the top five picks. Maybe some funny business could happen if they miss out on the playoffs, end up in the lottery, and for whatever reason, jump up from 13th to 1st or something crazy like that, or even just 13th to 5th. And in that scenario, the Bulls will miss out on getting that first-round pick. But the odds are so unlikely of that happening. I think it's safe to, to assume that the Bulls will be receiving that 2018 pick this season, even if it does have those light protections. But I guess what I'm trying to illustrate here is maybe the, the protections that the Pelicans wanted initially were top eight protected or top 10 protected in 2018. And by the Bulls, including that second-round pick, maybe that helped lessen the protection that is on those picks in 2018. So again, purely speculative on my part. We're not 100% sure if that's necessarily the case, but I'm sure that's something the Pelicans would have been arguing or leveraging in these deals with Garpax. Which brings me to my next question that I received from a listener. So this one came from Kbar17 on Twitter. So Kbar asks, am I alone in thinking the top five pick protection is really nice on this pick? The Bulls are an Anthony Davis injury away from a high pick, not to mention Nikola Mirotic has awful luck with health himself. So obviously we don't want to see any injuries towards Mirotic or Anthony Davis, but in the event that they do miss time or even if they don't, the Bulls are or the Bulls do really have some good protection on this pick or, or don't, I guess. So a top five pick protection, given that the Pelicans are currently in the playoffs, should be a safe protection for the Bulls to receive that pick back. So I would say the Bulls do have some good protections on this pick. Obviously, it would be much better if the pick was unprotected, but in this instance, I think it's almost safe to say that their pick really is unprotected. So it's it's not too bad. So I do I am happy with the protections that are sit on the pick, and I'm not worried about them at all. This isn't like the Sacramento Kings pick from back in the little old dang trade where the protections were top 10, top 8, and the Kings were a bad team that you know, potentially may not finish outside the top eight and 10 like they didn't. Um, but in this instance, I'm pretty confident the, that the Pelicans won't be a bottom five team this season. So I like the protections on the pick. I think they are favorable to the Bulls and we can be pretty confident in receiving that pick in 2018. But I guess the real key component that the Bulls did receive pack, back apart from that first round pick was the deal of Omiro Sheik. So as I mentioned before, it was pretty clear that the Bulls were going to need to take back a bad contract in this deal, and that's pretty much exactly what Ashik's deal is. So for the remainder of this season, not that it matters too much, but Ashik is earning $10.6 million this season. Next season, he'll be earning $11.3 million, and in 19-20, though his contract is upwards of $11 million in that season, only $3 million is guaranteed in 2019-20, meaning the Bulls are only on the hook for $3 million that season. So in reality, they've only got Amiro Sheik for the remainder of this season, all of next season, and I'll be sure that they will waive him in 2019-20, only paying him the $3 million. So they had to take back a bad deal in this deal itself, and I guess the the Ashi contract isn't too much of a burden. Yes, it will lessen their cap space in the offseason by $11.3 million. But I don't think the Bulls are going to be a team that are actively going to be targeting the big names in free agency. And they're rebuilding. They shouldn't be chasing those names anyway. So they should be a team that are trying to, to I guess, bring in bad contracts. And that's what they did. And that's what they needed to do to facilitate this deal. So... The Ashik deal, whilst it looks somewhat bad, if you sort of 
think about the contract upwards of 2019 and 20, the fact that it's only guaranteed $3 million in 2019-20 isn't so bad. And luckily for the front office that they sold the Jordan Bell pick and got that $3.5 million back from the Golden State Warriors. So that should take care of the $3 million of guaranteed money sitting against the cap that's pretty much doing nothing. So maybe that's what Paxton was talking about where he was saying maybe he had to buy some equity with the ownership. Maybe that's what he was referencing. But um, look, I'm not too concerned about the Ashik deal and the fact that it comes with a first-round pick. I can turn, I can learn to live with that deal itself. So I'm pretty sure you will be able to do so as well. But maybe the most underrated aspect of this deal itself was that they used the traded player exception in the Jimmy Butler trade to help facilitate this move. So what I mean by that is the Bulls were able to, I guess, absorb these contracts that they were receiving back. So for Amir Oshik, Jimmy Nelson, and Tony Allen, they used the Butler TPE to make that work. And in doing so, they created a new traded player exception for Miritich's outgoing salary of $12.5 million. So what that means is they can actually take back a further bad contract, Hope maybe maybe not at the deadline, but maybe in, in uh, the offseason when teams are trying to shore up some cap space and are looking to dump a bad contract for a future draft pick. Maybe the Bulls can use this new tra- traded player exception to take back another bad deal. So... I think that's another un, another underrated part of this deal. Now, it remains to be seen if the Bulls do that. They do have a history, I guess, of not necessarily using those traded player exceptions. Well, I can point to the Kyle Corver one back in 2012 there or 2013, whatever it may have been. But in this instance, they did use the Jimmy Butler one. So maybe, just maybe, they may use this, uh, this one from the Miritich trade as well to get back a bad contract to get another first round pick in. So... I thought that was an underrated aspect of this deal, and I think for that, the front office actually do deserve some sort of props for that, because it's a move that they typically wouldn't do, actually absorbing bad deals for first-round picks using the TPE, so um, I do commend them commend them on doing so. They should, they should uh, receive praise for that. So bringing it back to what I mentioned before about the Bulls achieving their goals, they did most of it. And because they did that, they got the first round pick and they removed Miritich from their roster and will hopefully improve their own draft pick. In that sense, they did two of the three things they wanted to do. And I guess that's pushing me to a grading scale around the the B minus range. Maybe if I'm in a charitable move, I could bump that up maybe to a B of sorts. So it wasn't a perfect trade. It wasn't a home run. They did get that first round pick and it should be a good first round pick. But at the same time, I guess they had to take on a really, not a horrendous contract, but one that will hamper their cap space to a degree. So, oh, and of course, they got rid of the second round pick as well. So they're the main reasons as to why it wasn't a perfect deal for me. It wasn't an A-type deal. It wasn't a slam dunk. It was a good deal, one that I'm happy with. They did probably give away a little bit more than I would have liked, but ultimately they got the prize possession there in the first round pick. So it's a B minus for me, maybe a B depending on what you on what day or, or how I'm feeling or what mood I'm in. So I'm pretty happy with that deal. And I think the Pelicans would be pretty happy with themselves as well. So if, you, if we think about what they wanted to achieve in a trade, they obviously wanted to remove some salary, which they did in, in dumping a Sheik's contract. They wanted to create some roster, po- roster spots so they could go and chase Greg Monroe who was recently bought out by the Phoenix Suns. So they managed to do that by getting rid of not only Jameer Nelson, but Tony Allen as well. So they got that done. And they also got back their own second round pick whilst getting the best player in the deal, which is obviously Nikola Mirotic. So from the Pelicans' perspective, I would say they probably slightly won this trade. I would give them a a B. They had a really good trade. And um, Del Demps deserves some credit there for, I guess, putting the deal off there initially and making the Bulls add in the second round pick and having the Bulls take back an extra player so they could uh, get a little bit further under the, the luxury tax in order to go and get Greg Monroe. So I thought this was a really good trade for the Pelicans. I would give them the slight edge over the Bulls, but by and large, it was a win-win for both teams. And it was good to see, even though the, the trade sort of fell over on the first time it was really reported, it was good to see both teams sort of went back to the drawing board and were able to renegotiate. 
So that's a B minus for me. Hit me up. Let me know what you thought of the trade. If you thought it was an A, maybe you thought it was an F. I don't know. Just let me know. Hit me up with that on Twitter and let me know what you thought of the deal. But me, officially, I'm going to go on the record and say a B minus. So hopefully you can um, understand how I got there. But what I wanted to talk about next was this second round pick. And it's one of those things where in hindsight, or maybe not even in hindsight, but just when you think about the general perspective, it's not a major issue. And I stress that because when we think about the wider, broader issues of this team, nailing your first round picks is a bigger issue than trading away your second round picks. Getting your free agency period right and not overpaying for bad players in free agency is obviously more of an important aspect in team building than maybe trading away a second round pick that's slotted to go around that mid-second round. There are larger issues at play here that will impede the Bulls from potentially being a championship level team. This issue that they have of constantly including in second round picks into deals it's not a huge issue, but it is a bit of a slight concern that I did, I do have. So I wanted to spend some time talking about this. And, and the reason I wanted to is I've got a couple questions here. One from John Kilea, one on Twitter. He asks, in a rebuilding time, why continue to give back picks to acquire picks? Either bad negotiating or just not value in second rounders. And maybe in a similar theme, but a little bit more aggressive in his approach is my friend Felipe Carvel Hayes on Twitter asks, Seriously, why do Garpacks hate second rounders? For such a cheap-ass organization, they sure do undervalue things that could make some significant final financial impact. They're giving up the chance to sign up, sign up, sign up guys on unguaranteed deals. So... They're two good questions, and they're they're questions that I sort of agree with. Why does a a team like the Bulls, who like to build their team through the draft and have have largely been a good drafting team, not value draft picks in the second round? That sort of doesn't make make a lot of sense to me. It's it's slightly confounding that a team that likes to have cost-controlled assets on their roster doesn't really want to have a go in the second round at all. Obviously, Paxson had that famous line in the offseason that, that uh, they didn't have anyone like Jordan Bell on their draft board. Their draft board ended at pick 37, hence why they were more than fine in dealing pick 38. I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And as I mentioned earlier before, of all the of all the trades they've sort of thrown in second round picks, they just don't value those second round picks. And I, like I said, it just doesn't make much sense. And In this instance here, in this specific isolated trade, I can sort of understand the logic of why they did happen to include the second round pick. What I mean by that is, if you think about the suitors that were out there for Nikola Mirotic, there wasn't a lot of teams offering up a first round pick. We talked about Utah before and Portland not necessarily being willing to offer up a first round pick for Mirotic. We talked about Detroit Pistons being interested in Nikola Mirotic, but after they acquired Blake Griffin, a power forward, there wasn't really any, I guess, real impetus for them to want to add Mirotic to the roster. And more importantly, they had included their own 2018 pick in the Blake Griffin trade. So that wasn't really an option. So the Bulls didn't really have many other suitors out there willing to give them a first round pick. So if it meant adding in the second round pick into this deal to get the first round pick, I can understand it. It's not necessarily the best negotiating tactic. Maybe they didn't push hard enough to not include the second round pick in this trade. But ultimately, if a team is saying to you that we need a second round pick to sort of put this trade forward, and given the fact that Nikola Mirotic didn't want to come back to the Bulls, and that was made clear by John Paxson that Mirotic's people didn't want him coming back, that urgency, I guess, made the Bulls push in that second round pick in this deal. So... In this isolated trade, I can understand why they included the second round pick, but it is a general problem that they do have. And why that is a problem is the fact that they're sort of bypassing an opportunity to add young players to the roster who are going to be cost-controlled on cheap contracts. Now, I understand that there is a low probability that a second round pick amounts to anything. I get that, I'm aware of that, and I fully understand that. But that doesn't mean you should just skip the entire second round and, I guess, take that free hit at potentially finding a player there in the second round. Yes, you may miss. You may find a dud who is gone after two years. Cameron Bairstow was exactly that. And Paul Zipser is sort of trending that way too. But 
for all we know, maybe the Bulls, if they were to hang on to their second round picks, maybe they could find a, a capable role player. The second round pick that the Bulls did give away in the Cameron Prane trade is currently slotted to be the 37th pick in the second round, which is right where the Bulls' draft board ends in the second round. So maybe they could find some value in this draft, upcoming draft at 37. Who knows? They may or may not. But the point is, the reason why a second round pick is somewhat important is the fact that it gives you an avenue of finding a talent and adding a talent to the roster. We saw what they did with David Nwaba. They obviously picked him up for nothing. But why couldn't they find an, another David Nwaba in the second round? Is, is that not possible? Of course it is. So I don't understand this logic from some fans saying second round picks are meaningless. Who cares? They're probably not going to work out. Their percentage is low of actually finding anyone. Yeah, okay, you're right. They may not find anyone. But it's possible that they find Malcolm Brogdon, who was the Rookie of the Year last season. Maybe they could get someone like that. You don't know. It's a small percentage chance. I get that. It's probably unlikely. But all I'm asking is to take a chance every now and then in the second round. Try to find some value in there. You may surprise yourself and you may actually find a capable player of sorts. So that's. I just wanted to get that out there. I was going to write about it, but instead I thought I'd rant about it instead. So I don't understand why any fans out there wouldn't want the team to explore the second round or using picks in the second round to make this team better. I don't get why some fans support the idea of trading second round picks or the fact that they don't matter at all. I understand the logic, but again, there are some value picks in the second round, particularly as NBA front offices get smarter, they're able to identify talent at a higher rate. We've seen in this last draft that there's been probably five or six guys at least in the second round that have sort of contributed to NBA rosters this season. So all I'm asking is the Bulls to maybe to start to think about or start to value their second round picks a little bit more. But to re- reiterate my point, I'm not too concerned about them dealing a second round pick in this specific trade. But as an ideology, I just sort of wish they would value their second round picks a little bit more. But anyways, that's enough of that rant. I had to get it out there. But moving on, we need to talk about what's next for the Bulls. So obviously, there's still a week away from the trade deadline. So there still is, in theory, some time for them to make some additional moves. Which I sort of spoke before that they don't necessarily plan on getting rid of Jameer Nelson at this point, but they probably will waive Tony Allen. That needs to be confirmed, but that hasn't happened as yet. So there are two moves that may happen going forward. If the Bulls can probably find a second round pick for Jameer Nelson, I think they would sell him on that in that instance. But I think knowing how bad the Bulls point guard rotation has been since Chris Dunn is out, I wouldn't be very surprised if Jameer Nelson hangs around and helps his team execute a basic pick and roll of sorts so let's see if that can if, if that can help him but I would expect Tony Allen to be waived but beyond that the Bulls do have the ability to make some further moves to I guess again help shore up this tank so uh, I want to talk about the next moves coming up and in doing so I want to answer some of the questions some of the other questions I did receive so getting into it so this one comes from David Moose Judge on Twitter Will the trade that the Bulls executed have an impact on Lopez or Felicio? Will one of these be traded after Amir's arrival? So what I wanted to say and what I didn't say before is we shouldn't really be thinking about Amir Ashik as a player that's going to actually change anything from an on-court perspective. If we think about how bad Cristiano Felicio has been this season, Amir Ashik has been even worse. So... I don't think Felicio has anything to worry about, about a Sheik replacing him in the rotation. He's not even in the rotation, but he doesn't necessarily have to worry about being leapfrogged by Omir. And to that point, I don't think you can sort of count on a Sheik being a steady Lopez standing if the Bulls were to trade Lopez. So I don't think they're going to get much value out of a Sheik at all in terms of on-court He'll be pretty much sitting on the bench at all times. He's he's pretty close to retirement at this, at this point. So we're not going to get any value at all out of Omira Sheik. So I don't necessarily think his presence will put any pressure on rotations and making or forcing someone like Felicia or Lopez to, to sit. 
But that doesn't necessarily mean that the Bulls won't any entertain any idea of potentially trading Lopez. So I think that's still on the cards, but I don't think a Sheik is the one that will be forcing that decision. So hopefully that's clear. I don't think we should be expecting any basketball activity or any productivity, I guess, from a Sheik at all on the court. But as I said, I still do think the Bulls will entertain the idea of potentially moving Robin Lopez and, and maybe even Justin Holiday. And on Twitter, uh, Patrick Malarkey asks a question to that effect. He asks, what value do you think Rolo and Holiday possess? Is there any way feasible to package them for a first? So thinking about the the first part of the question in terms of what they, I guess, bring to the to the team and to the rotation itself, I think oh, I've, I've expressed on this podcast before that I think Robin Lopez plays an important part in this rebuild whilst not necessarily being someone that's going to add a ton of wins for you. He's been very important in Larry Markin's development. He's even been important for guys like uh, Zach Levine and Chris Dunn, setting them a lot of nice, big, heavy screens for them to get into the lane. So someone like Robin Lopez, who does all the little things for his teammates and is obviously a great off-the-court leader, I don't have an issue with necessarily keeping him around and he does provide value like that. And same same thing with Justin Holiday. He's a decent defender. He can come in and shoot threes, but he's not someone that's going to beat you off the bounce. He's not going to create his own points. So in that sense, he's not like Nikola Mirotic in, in the way he's going to come off the bench and really help you win games by being a volume scorer, which the Bulls definitely need. They need someone that can come in and create buckets. Justin Holiday doesn't do that for you. So from an on-court perspective, they're valuable role players, but they're not going to necessarily impact the tank. Now, thinking about that in terms of what they can potentially get you in a trade, because they're not necessarily guys that are going out there and going to really be outwardly helping you win games, they'll be nice complementary pieces. I think it's very unlikely that you can put them together and hope to get a first-round pick. Maybe you can. Maybe that can happen. Maybe there's a team in need of a center out there, as well as a small forward that can come in and shoot threes. I think Holiday has more value than Robin Lopez because he does play on the wing. He is someone that can defend a little bit and can shoot the three. And in today's NBA market, there's just not a lot of need or want for big lumbering NBA centers. So I think it's more likely that the Bulls could move Justin Holiday than Robin Lopez. But I don't think they're going to get a first-round pick for Holiday. I don't think they're going to get one for Robin Lopez. And I don't think combining their two contracts and sending them out together to a team is necessarily going to get you back a first-round pick. So what I would expect the Bulls to be receiving in terms of offers for those guys is some sort of second-round picks. Now, I just obviously had a rant about the Bulls not valuing second-round picks, but maybe they can move Justin Holiday and get back a second-round pick to recoup the one that they had lost in this, uh, in this Miritich trade. If they do that, that kind of, I guess, makes some sense. Whether they use that pick or not is another question, but they can still add another second-round pick, which would appease me somewhat. But um, look, I don't think you're going to get a first-round pick for Justin Holiday or Robin Lopez, unfortunately. But hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm at someone who's out there willing to give the Bulls a late first-round pick for either one of those guys or maybe even both. But we shall see. But I uh, appreciate your question there, Patrick. The next question comes in from Gore Abramayan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. So Gore asks, and to be fair to Gore, he did ask this question prior to the news about the Bulls potentially keeping Nelson, Jameer Nelson. But he asks, what do you think? Will the Bulls waive Jameer Nelson? In my opinion, they need him as a backup point guard. So we obviously know at this point that the Bulls are leaning towards keeping Jameer Nelson. And for the exact reason that you mentioned there, Gore, I think the Bulls do need a veteran backup point guard. It's been something that I've been talking about all season that I think the Bulls made a mistake in not surrounding their young point guards. So they've obviously got three on the roster, four if you include Archie Diakono. They've got four young, inexperienced, and somewhat limited point guards on the roster. And I think they could really use a veteran out there to maybe not necessarily to help them improve on the court, being out there with them, but being away from them, being on the bench and coping as, I guess, a second coach of sorts, being a point guard coach, filling the role that Rondo sort of played for the Bulls off the court with the younger players last season. We know, we know about the younger players really gravitating towards Rondo last season. So maybe Jameer Nelson could sort of provide that role as well. He hasn't been good this this season from an on-the-court perspective, so maybe you can keep him around as a veteran leader. 
What that would do, unfortunately, would mean that you would be carrying five point guards on the roster. And if you've got Jameer Nelson around and you're playing Jerry and Grant as a backup, you want to put some time into Cameron Payne. Does that mean someone like Antonio Blakeney, will he get any time in the seniors at all? Will he be playing in the NBA? Probably not. So that's something you need to consider in keeping him around. But I sort of am leaning towards what you sort of suggested there, that they keep him around for the remainder of the season as a bit of a veteran. Help guide Grant and Cameron Payne for the moment while Dunn is out. And then when Dunn is back, have Nelson be around there to sort of mentor Dunn for at least the remainder of the season. So I don't mind keeping Nelson around. I don't think that would be a bad move necessarily. So thanks for your question there, Gore. The next one that I do have here comes from Peter on Twitter. He asks, will the Bulls trade some other players? Do you see Dunn playing in the next two games or will he be rested in the mini road trip until the mini road trip is over? So there's a couple of questions there. So firstly, I think around with Dunn, I don't think he'll be playing at all before the trade deadline. I'll be surprised if we see him before the All-Star break. Maybe he'll get a couple games in there, but... He definitely won't be back, I don't think, on this West Coast trip. Do I think the Bulls will be trading other players? I mentioned that they they are listening to deals. They probably are looking at moving guys like Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday. But it's also been reported that they are trying to potentially move Jerry and Grant. So if that's the case, I think they may be looking at moving other players. And Grant would probably be the primary one there. I don't think they would be moving, looking to move anyone else. But yes, they they probably are thinking about moving those main three pieces. So another player that I haven't necessarily thought about trading, but um, Henry Gowindy asked me this on Twitter, and he he I guess he wants to know is should the Bulls be thinking about maybe trading away Zach Levine for another first round pick? And it's probably something I wouldn't do, Henry. I think it's pretty it's a pretty risky move. It's definitely a ballsy move, um, trading away Zach Levine after he's just returned. I don't think you're necessarily going to get much value for for Zach Levine at this point, given he's only played about eight or nine games since he's been back from that ACL injury. And as to be expected, he hasn't looked very good. And the fact that he will be a restricted free agent and he's chasing max dollars, I don't think you're necessarily going to get a much back for Zach Levine. So it probably makes sense at the moment for the Bulls to keep around Levine rather than trying to trade him, because I don't think you're necessarily going to get good value for Levine back. So what I would say is if you do want to trade Zach Levine, maybe try to re-sign him in the offseason to a, a number that makes sense, a, a contractor number that isn't too exorbitant. And then if you're still keen on trading him thereafter, then maybe looking to deal him once he's healthy and proven to teams that A, he can play again, and two, that he's on a deal that's not going to expire in the next 30 games or so. So I don't think the Bulls will be looking to deal Zach Levine at all, and even if they were, I don't think they would uh, realistically get much back in return for him. So I don't think we should expect Zach Levine to be moved at all. Next question comes in from KC Scott. So again, this is another question that relates to Zach Levine, but in this case, what what KC is asking is there any way for the Bulls to use the TPE created from the Miritich trade to take back bad salary via another trade? And I sort of alluded to that before, and the Bulls can definitely do that, and I hope they do do that. I hope they're looking to explore and take on another bad deal and get another first-round pick out of it. Maybe that happens now at the deadline. Maybe that happens in June around the draft or just before free agency when teams are trying to shore up their cap space a little bit more. Maybe the Bulls can acquire someone with that Miritich TPE, but I hope that they're investigating it. I think it's something they definitely should be doing. And KC did have a second part of his question there, and and he asks if they do take on that another bad deal via that TPE, does that somehow, I guess, prevent or will there be enough cap space for Zach Levine to be given his market rate this summer? So the important thing to note with Zach Levine is that he's a restrictive free agent. The Bulls do have the ability to go over the cap to keep Zach Levine, which is a good thing. They can take on some bad salary here, maybe have a little bit more cap space to sign some other players. And the last move they make, they can keep Zach Levine, re-sign him and go over the cap to keep him. Now, even if they do have the ability to do that, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do that. Obviously, the Bulls will have a number given to them by the Reinsdorfs that they want to not exceed in terms of a total player payments. It definitely won't be above the luxury tax, but maybe they don't even want to go that much over the cap itself. So you definitely do have to factor in 
into Zach Levine's next deal, into taking on that another bad contract, even though it's possible under the CBA to take on another deal and then to extend or re-sign Zach Levine there and go over the cap. It depends on the appetite of management or more so ownership, I guess, as to one of they as to if they want to really exceed that cap and really push that number up towards the luxury tax. We know how prudent the Bulls can be. They can be somewhat stingy in that regard. They haven't necessarily gone and pushed their, I guess, their their cap number really high, even when they were competing for titles. So or hoping to compete for titles. So I'm not necessarily sure they're going to be doing that for a rebuilding team. So it really depends on what Zach Levine's final number is going to be and whether they take on that bad contract. If they can get Zach Levine for a number close to $15 million and therefore get back a bad contract around $10 million, maybe they could stomach that. But if they, for whatever reason, sign Zach Levine to a $25 million deal, and then you, they're trying to take on a $10 million contract on top of that, is Jerry Reinsdorf and ownership going to sign off on having to pay Zach Levine a max contract by, as well as also eating his salary of a bad player for $10 or $12 million? I would probably lean towards no, but um, I hope they are exploring the avenue of getting back another player via that Miritich TP. I think it would be a good practice to get in another draft pick, but uh, it will ultimately come down to cost, even though they can extend Levine or re-sign Levine, I should say, despite taking on another bad contract. So hopefully that answers your question there, KC. So the next one comes in from Sir Brian G2, and he asks, is there a scenario where Zach Levine isn't extended by the Bulls? So I would pretty much say no. I think both parties want to I guess, have a relationship with each other. Zach Levine wants to be the face of this franchise. The Bulls have been on record saying that they want to keep Zach Levine around. And it's pretty much the way this is going to happen is they're going to go or they're going to let Zach Levine go out there, test the market, see what he can get from other teams. They'll come forward with their own offer and they'll probably negotiate from there as to what the final number will be. Now, unless some team comes out there and offers Zach Levine four years, $100-plus million. Maybe in that scenario, the Bulls might balk a little bit and not necessarily think about bringing him back. But even then, I'd be very surprised if the Bulls would let a key piece in the Butler deal just walk away. I think they'd be more inclined to overpay Zach Levine than just to let him walk. Now, I'm not necessarily saying I agree with that or that, 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 or that that's a good strategy, but I think that's more likely. So to answer your question, I don't really see a scenario where the Bulls just let Zach Levine go or they don't re-sign him of sorts. I think you can pretty much lock that in that he will be a Bull next season. And hopefully it's for an amount that makes sense. And as I've sort of stated in the past, I hope that number isn't any more than $20 million. It'd be fantastic if it's closer to $15 million, but anywhere between 15 and 20 I think would be reasonable to expect. So we will see where that happens or what will happen with that deal. But I don't think there's any real scenario there where Zach Levine is not a Chicago Bull next season. So thanks for your question there, Brian. The next one comes in from at Bulls for Life 98 on Twitter. So Bulls for Life is asking, what's your take on the possibility of trading both of our first round picks to move up in the draft if it's deemed necessary to grab a specific player? So... This is an interesting question, and I'm not too sure if I'm comfortable in the Bulls necessarily packaging two picks in order to, I guess, consolidate that into one, because the last time that happened, it was for Doug McDermott, and we obviously know how well that went, or how well it didn't go, I should say, but um, look, if, if it makes sense to do so, and there's some logic behind that, then I can get behind that idea, but personally, I look at this Bulls roster, and I see so many holes in it that I think they really need to take a couple swipes at the draft here. They need to make their own pick count. But I think with this Pelicans pick as well, it wouldn't be the worst idea getting a nice player in that sits in the middle of that first round. They hopefully can develop into a nice role player. I think they need to take as many strikes at the draft as possibly can. And that's the idea of why you need to acquire that second round pick. And further to that, I don't necessarily see teams trading down or, or maybe you know trading the Bulls' sixth pick, let's call it, and the 17th pick for the third pick. I don't think there's going to be a team that's necessarily going to be at the top of the draft that's thinking, 
I don't necessarily like any of these players in the top five. I'm willing to trade down to pick six and maybe receive pick 17 back. I don't think that's likely at all. So I don't think that scenario is going to play out. And personally, I'd be more willing for the Bulls to keep a hold of their own pick as well as keeping a hold of that New Orleans pick. I think that's the better strategy to go at this point. But of course, we'll, we'll wait and see where things fall. If the Bulls somehow get them get a hold of two picks inside the top 12, I would definitely be keeping both. But maybe if that New Orleans pick starts to move out towards the, the 20-ish range, then maybe you can start considering maybe dealing that New Orleans pick. But right now, based on the information that we do have, I would be using both picks in this draft. So moving on to the next question now, this one comes in from at Killerside on Twitter. He asks, where do you think this pick will eventually end up at? For example, do you see it coming in at 15, 16, or 20? Now, I think it's more more likely than not that the Pelicans do make the playoffs. So if they do make the playoffs, at a minimum, this pick will be pick 15. Now, I'm very much hoping that they, for some reason, they're not able to gel with Miritich for whatever reason, he just can't supplant or replace Demarcus's cousin's production and they fall outside of the playoff picture and maybe the pick turns into pick 12, 13 or 14, something like that. That would be really nice, but I think the most likely scenario is that the Pelicans do make the playoffs. They are a low-seeded team, maybe the 7th or 8th seed and depending on what things happen in the East and where those records stand in the East towards the bottom of the playoffs, I think it's pretty safe to say this pick will be anywhere between 15 to 18. Um, I would say probably 16. That's where I'm going to position that pick at the moment. I'm hoping for, or I'm realistically thinking that's where the pick will be. But as I said before, I'm hoping it becomes a little bit better and we can move it outside of the lottery, maybe towards pick 12 or 13 or something of that nature. So we'll see, but I'll conservatively say that this pick is going to be pick 16 come draft time, which isn't too bad. It's pretty good. You're in the middle of the first round and as an extra draft pick, you're, you know, that's pretty good. I'm happy with that. So next question comes in from my friends over at Bulls Confidential, the uh, the old place where I used to write. So the old gang over there, they're asking me around, who are my favorite prospects in this draft in the late teen range? Zen Master Mike, who is a, is a contributor there over at Bulls Confidential, he likes Tray- Trayvon Duval, Lonnie Walker, um, amongst others. So who he's asking me, I guess, who amongst those sort of players do I want the Bulls to target um, with that, I guess, let's call it the 16th pick in the draft. And two of the guys that you mentioned there are, are guys that I'm certainly interested in, Trayvon Duval and Lonnie Walker. Another guy that I'm sort of hoping the Bulls take a look at, and of course, it will depend on a lot of different things, but um, I'm thinking about wings with this with this mid-first that they're going to have. So maybe someone like Shake Milton. You know, that's a really cool name. It's He's more of, I guess, a shooting, a combo guard, a shooting guard, point guard type that does a little bit of everything, can score well, can can rebound and, and make some assists, can shoot the three ball well. I kind of like Shake Milton, not only for his name, but the fact that this guy can play as well. So I haven't really explored, I guess, that later first round or in the, even into the mid and, and the late first round, I guess, because... I wasn't expecting the Bulls to have that that pick. I was I'm, much of my draft focus at the moment has been sort of prospects in that top ten range, hoping the Bulls obviously would get a top ten pick with their own pick. Now, obviously that they've got that second, I'm going to need to start exploring some possible names there in, later in the first round. But they're the three that I've sort of come up with at the moment, and it all, it's almost dependent on what the Bulls do with their first round pick or their their own pick. If they do happen to take a point guard with say pick six if they happen to land themselves Trey Young or Colin Sexton, then in that case, it probably doesn't make sense to go after Duval. Um, he's a point guard himself, obviously. You don't really want to be adding in another point guard when you've also got Chris Dunn on the roster and Jerry and Grant potentially if he's not moved, as well as Cameron Payne. So in that instance, depending what they do with their first pick, you may not add someone like Duval. Maybe you go for a wing. But if for whatever reason they take Michael Porter Jr., then maybe then you can start to think about taking a point guard with that later pick. So what I'm saying is with that later pick that they've received from the Pelicans, I think they can afford to use that pick to go after fit more so than the best player available. I think they can afford to do that with that pick. I wouldn't des- I would definitely not be doing that with their top pick, their prized pick, but I think with that 
pick 16, let's call it, that they've acquired from the Pelicans, I think they can afford to be a little bit more specific in and think about fit when targeting players within later in the first round. So I'll do some more analysis, but at the moment I'm leaning towards those three guys for that with that Pelicans pick. So thanks to those guys over there at Bulls Confidential. And if you're not following Bulls Confidential for whatever reason, which is probably unlikely, if you're following me, you're probably already following Bulls Confidential. Definitely follow those guys. They do good things over there and cover the Bulls team. So be sure to follow them. The next question comes in from at Pickleus Narka. So obviously a play on his name there. I'm going to say, assume your name is Nicholas. And I wasn't going to include this question because it's, I'm hoping it's a joke at least, but um, I wanted to rant about it. So Pickleus asks here, how do you think Grayson Allen will fit after the Bulls inevitably, inevitably select him with this pick? Now, Nicholas or Pickleus, please do not speak into existence this this possible reality that the Bulls do take Grayson Allen in the first round with this pick. I do not want to see it happen. I don't think anyone in Bulls Nation wants to see this happen. And please, I understand that you're joking, but just don't even put it out there. Do not even think about possibly just putting it out there, maybe speaking this thing into existence. I know we're trying to be funny and I've made this joke myself, but we need to avoid at all costs making this joke because it may become a reality and it would be a terrible thing. So uh, I wasn't going to include it, but I uh, I just wanted to put it in there because the Grayson Allen jokes, they're no longer funny, guys. Now, especially that the Bulls do have a second round or a second first round pick, we don't want to see this happen. So please, no more Grayson Allen jokes, okay? Please just do me that favor. So um. Yeah, no Grayson Allen with this pick, please. All right, so the, the second last question that I have here comes from at Tweet6. He asks, without Miritich, how do you expect the rest of the season to unfold? And I've sort of answered this already, but I do think the Bulls are going to be really, really bad without Nikola Miritich. He was definitely their best player whilst he was here. He was a volume scorer that came in off the bench and was pretty much averaging almost 25 points per 36 minutes. So... He was very effective for the Bulls. He was their best and most efficient scorer. And if you remove him from the fold and with Zach Levine struggling and not necessarily replacing Meritich's scoring, they're going to be bad again. They may not necessarily be 3-20 and 20 bad, but I think they're still going to be capable enough or maybe incapable enough to uh, lose enough games to get them into that top 4 or 5, which is the goal at the moment. And based on what Paxson is saying, the Bulls are going for that draft pick as they should be. So I think it's going to be pretty bad now without Nikola Miritich, and I would expect the Bulls to come away with a top five pick, assuming there's no lottery balls bouncing the wrong way. So I'm tipping the next 30 games or so are going to be pretty bad for the Bulls. It's not going to be the best viewing going around, particularly if Chris Dunn is out for a little bit longer. But ultimately, eyes on the prize here. Get that top draft pick, and uh, moving Miritich should help that. So... Thanks for your question there at Tweet6. And the last one that I got here from Dimitrios Panos. So a fellow Greek, I'm tipping by that name there. Dimitrios asks, do you think Miritich is excited about joining back up with Rajon Rondo? Seems like the two of them were close last year. Now, Miritich has been on record saying that Rajon Rondo was one of his most favorite teammates of all time, along with Pau Gasol. So I'm tipping he's pretty excited to reunite with Rajan Rondo there in, in New Orleans. So maybe that's a benefit to Miritich and maybe that helped him opt into that second year knowing that he would be pairing up again with Rajan Rondo. So hopefully he's looking forward to, to spending the next 30 or so games with, with Rondo and maybe they can uh, reconnect there and find a, a bit of a synergy on the court and, and Rondo can sort of hit, hit Miritich up there with a few threes. But I think he's definitely looking forward to that, Dimitrios. So... Good for Miritich and maybe good for Rondo as well. But um, look, that brings me to the end of the podcast. That's all the questions there. And, and again, thank you to everyone to send it, for sending in those questions. I got a lot, about 15 or so. And every time I do ask for questions, you guys are always awesome in giving me those, uh, those questions to answer on the pod. So I really do appreciate that. And hopefully I've been able to, uh, I guess, cover off this trade in its, in its entirety. I've gone on for a little bit long here, but... Um, yeah, hopefully I've covered it all off for you guys and I've been able to give you, a, I guess, my 
my take on how it all went down, I'm pretty happy with the deal. Like I said before, it's not a perfect trade, but it's a good one. Both teams win out here. So in, in a sense, it's very similar to the Jimmy Butler trade. They didn't necessarily get everything they wanted to achieve. They got the main parts right. And in that sense, both teams walk away with a win-win deal. So let's see what happens for the rest of the trade deadline. But for this specific Miritich trade, I think we should all be happy that the Bulls have been able to secure a first-round pick as well as hopefully worsening their own pick. So I'll be back in the coming days and we'll uh, we'll get a wrap-up, I guess, of the, the trade deadline. Hopefully there's a bit more action because there's of course, as NBA fans, we always love the action here at trade, the trade deadline. And, and let's see if the Bulls can be involved again with maybe trading in, trading out rather Robin Lopez or a Justin Holiday or maybe even Jerry and Grant. Whoever it may be, hopefully there's some more action there in the trade deadline. But um, I'll be back to wrap up the trade deadline once it's concluded. But I appreciate you guys joining me for this one. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.